0: Big thank you to John, the choir, and Kip. Great job, great job, guys, here this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 as we're continuing this series, Convictions and Things That uh, Teachings that Christians should know and should care about. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah, or the one of the other prophets. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you and you do not learn this from any human being now i say to you that you are peter which means rock and upon this rock i will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it and i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you for, you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word, as we are challenged, as as we are also reminded that you've given the world an organization, an organism, something that is alive, something that can't be taken out until you take it out, the church. God, I pray that we love and that we value the church in which you have given. God, we're thankful that a church is a place we can go that we can find comfort, that we can find peace, that we can find joy, we can find happiness. We can be also confronted at times when we end up living uh, in a way in which is not pleasing to you because we have people who love us, who care for us, who want what is best for us. God, be with this message. May your Holy Spirit move and work here this morning. Be with me as I speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sometimes, sometimes as a pastor... When you are talking with someone, especially a stranger, whether it's on an airplane or it is at a sporting event or you're with your children you're meeting other parents, sometimes you'll get in a conversation with someone and you're talking and you're being cordial and the number one thing, or at least the second thing that a man will ask another man oftentimes is, what do you do? What do you do? And it gets interesting real quick sometimes when you're a pastor and they ask you, what do you do? And if you just say, well, I'm a pastor, usually if they didn't know you're a pastor and they were cussing, they go, oh man, I'm sorry I was cussing in front of you, which I appreciate. Um, But uh, it's interesting because... Uh, and at first, I must try not to tell people I am a pastor. Not that I'm ashamed of being a pastor, but they end up acting differently after I tell them my job description. And so, one person in particular asked me as I was talking with them, "What do you do?" And I thought that it might be time for me to get a little creative. And and um, how you know, in answering this question of what do I do? So this is what I told somebody. I said, "Well." I work for a global enterprise and we have we have outlets nearly in every country of the world and he said wow really that's that's interesting. That's pretty impressive. And I said, yeah. And I said, we also, we have hospitals, we have hospices, we have homeless shelters, uh, and we do marriage work. We, we have orphanages in which we support and across the world. And we've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation work. And I say, basically, we look after people from the time they were born until their death. And we also, in this, deal with behavioral, Um, alteration. They're like, wow, that's impressive. That's really impressive. And um, what is this place you're talking about? And then I let them know, it's the church. Oh, you're a pastor. (laughs) Yes. Yes. As a follower of Jesus, we are a part of something much larger than ourselves. While it is local, it is global. It's a global enterprise. And it's not just global. If you think about it, it's intergalactic. So, ooh, We have like some aliens a part of this church or something? No. Because it includes everyone who's gone before us. And we believe that they just didn't just die and go to the dark abyss. We believe they're just as alive as what they were here on earth, just in a different place, which we believe to be heaven. We also believe in a place called hell. We don't believe in an in-between, there's heaven, there's hell. And we we'll believe that everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can experience heaven, can have a relationship with the Lord. You see, this church that we're a part of is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. It is a place where the values of eternity operate. When you're in a foreign country, most foreign countries will have a, an American embassy. And if you get in trouble in a foreign country and you realize, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, and they're, if they arrest me, I'm going to be in even more trouble. I need to get some, to some place of protection, some place in which I can have some rights. And that would be the American embassy, that you have a little bit of home away from home in another country. And if you get to that embassy, there's some different rules. There's some different laws. And if that country wants to go into that embassy to get you, they have to get permission first from that home country. So what is the church? The church has been minimized. Now, this message is going to focus mostly on what is the church. The next time I speak is going to be why. Why do we really have the church? And you're going to get a little bit of that today as well, but we'll really focus in on more of why. There's some who minimize the church. They look at the church as something just optional for a Christian. Listen, my friend, when you read the New Testament and you read about throughout history of the early church, you read even today of today of Christians that are in China and Russia and other parts of the world who have a Bible and they hide it. They hide it, at least someone in their family find it or the government finds it. They go to church in China, many of them in the middle of the night in a barn in the middle of nowhere and will walk for miles just to go to church because if they get caught, they're going to jail. And yet many in America minimize the church. We go, I don't really need to be faithful to that church. Nowhere in the Bible does it say I got to go to church to be a Christian. And you're correct. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to go to church in order to be a Christian because then that would be a salvation by works model. And we believe it's by faith and repentance. But here's the thing that the Bible does clearly teach is that if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you should faithfully be in church because you are a Christian. Well, I don't know where it says that in the Bible. I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourself as a manner of some. The church is an assembly. It is a coming together. And that's what we're doing here this morning. And many other churches are doing the same. But when you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, you read about how many of the apostles, the followers of Jesus, willingly died martyrs death, martyrs deaths for the gospel, for believing in Christ, for the church. Some of them planting churches in other parts of the world and parts of uh, in other countries outside of Israel. And they w- they willingly died for the sake of the gospel. And some in America would go, it's just the church. And we have a low view of what the church is. Now, I understand some of you have been hurt by church before. And there is no perfect church. You won't find a perfect church. We have a perfect Savior, but we don't have a perfect church. We had a Next Steps class before this, and I was explaining to them about church. And Dave Ramsey said once, and he was a you know, financial guru, he's also a Christian, he said, if you've never been hurt in church, you know what that means? That means you were never involved. You will get hurt in church at times. But when your heart is focused on Jesus and your eyes are set on Jesus and someone hurts you or someone lets you down in church, you you do it for Jesus. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for your spouse. Don't do it for the other person. You serve and you do it for Jesus. People are the secondary reason. The first and primary reason is Jesus. Jesus loves the church. He bled and died for the church. He purchased the church. There are some things that I have purchased that I really like. I'd say almost love, but I don't want to use that term. But there's things I really, that I own that I really, really, if you were to mess with, I'd punch you in the face for Jesus if you messed with it. <laughs> like one thing that I really love, I'll just say it, is I love my F-150 4x4 dark blue truck. I do. It's better than your Chevy, okay? I just want you to know that. (laughs) If you're new, I was, my dad worked for Ford, and so um, I was brainwashed as a child, and apparently that's never never left me. (laughs) Listen, my point is this, is when you value something, and you value something the way Jesus values it, that as Christians we should value the church the same way Jesus values it he purchased it he loved it and you should care for it i've seen people get hurt in church before i saw my parents get hurt once really really badly and my father who i love and is a man of integrity he's not he's not perfect don't get me wrong but my dad just a a guy who you know served as a deacon in a church and as a trustee and served in the church i mean once had a pastor get in front of a church larger than this and called my father a liar it was very hurtful. And my father could have left, but he stayed. He stayed. That wasn't, that wasn't easy to stay. Because the pastor was stealing some money, and my dad uncovered it. And my dad's like, no, 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 we're going to deal with this. He dealt with it in a biblical way and a right way. He could have left, and rightfully so, but he stayed. He stayed. And a new pastor eventually came and that got all worked out. And I saw that as a 12-year-old boy and it made a huge impression and impact on me that my father that he loved the church. <clears throat> I normally get choked up about that, but I think maybe that's why my father has two sons in ministry, but as well as my brothers who aren't pastors, they are faithful in church as well, serving Jesus. I think there's a connection. I, I saw my parents love the church. I saw my parents mess up. I saw my parents at times like, not always. They they lived good, consistent lives for as Christians. Or I really saw that they weren't perfect, and I saw some of those things. But you know what? Because they loved the church, because they loved Jesus, they were telling us, us children, the church matters. Jesus purchased it. He loves the church. And my friend, one of the best gifts you can give your children is to love your church. And you might go, but that is like that, or that is like that, or they need to do this. And you might be right. You might be right. Because no church is perfect. There is no perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect pastor. I wish I was. There's always something we can improve and do, and I hope that we do. But, man, the church is a place where people should be able to go find truth, acceptance, freedom, safety, joy, justice, and Hope. Man, the church is a place that we should be able to grow, go. And what has happened to a certain extent in America, the church has become a cruise ship. A place where when you go on a cruise, and we like going on cruises, you go on a cruise and you are entertained. You are fed and you got this buffet and you gain like 10 pounds, right? Or more. And you're like, I am stuffed. You ate too much. And, and uh, calories don't count on a cruise. I don't know if you knew that or not. But uh, our bodies say differently And you go on a cruise and you're entertained. You're not the one picking up the plates. You're not the one doing the entertaining. You're not the one doing the cooking. You're on a cruise. But so many have a cruise ship mentality when it comes to the church. Serve me, love me, and give nothing back. Now, a church is a place you should feel loved, but you also should love. It's a place you should be served, but it's a place that you should serve. You care for one another. You encourage one another. You help one another. Someone compared it to this, that the church, just as in the movies, previews, advertise the coming attractions. By the way, man, I went yesterday. Nate and I went to, and it's free this weekend. It was free Friday, Saturday, and today. um, Jesus Revolution. I normally don't mention movies in my sermons. Man, it, it broke my heart. It, it was an awesome movie. I encourage you to go and watch it. And it's free at the Julia right across the street. Go buy some popcorn, right? And um, and, and I think there's one at 1, 4, and 7 today. It's free. Go. It's PG-13. Not because there's anything bad in it or any nudity or anything like that. But there's some things in there that they're just being real. And testimonies of seeing how God used up, messed up people for his glory. That's what the movie's about. And it's awesome. And it made my heart break. I mean, I even shed a tear or two, and I was making sure my son wasn't looking at me. while well, I was like, oh, man, what are you doing this? But it, it was very powerful. And, um, but, but, man, when we, we see a, when we see a preview, it's usually given the highlight, something that will entice you, something that gives you a preview of what's to come. And the church is the preview of what's to come. And it should be exciting. It should be a place where, man, where people are finding the freedom, the joy, and the truth, and the gospel, and salvation. That's what they should be finding at the church. I mean... Listen, I've been in some different churches and I've been in ones that were small and cold. I've been in some that are big and cold. I've been in some that were small and warm and loving and they grew. I have been in some that were large, warm and loving. Like it doesn't matter so much the size. It matters like, man, are you really having church? There's some churches that have a mentality of us four and no more. And that's pretty much what it looks like too. And it's cold and it's boring. Church should never be boring. If your church is boring, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And we tried it, man. We try here to make sure that kids learn about Jesus and they have fun. We try to do both. We do. We try to have, you know, series that will touch people's hearts and will help people. But the point of the preview is to whet the appetites of the upcoming attraction. And someday the big show... The big show is coming to town. It's called The Kingdom of God. God the Father is a producer. The Holy Spirit is a director. Jesus is the superstar, and it will be a worldwide production. But until then, God has left the previews of the coming attractions uh, in the world, the hot clips, I guess you could say, to the church, to the church. It's a free ticket. All it requires is faith and repentance and your, your trust and belief in Jesus Christ. And he will save you and he will change you. We are called to be the preview of heaven, a little bit of heaven here on earth. I mean, man, if you don't like worshiping Jesus here on earth, you're going to hate heaven. Because we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to worship him. And it's going to be awesome. Now, it's not going to be just, I don't believe, just one never-ending church service. But if so, I honestly would be okay with that because I love worshiping. I love worshiping the Lord. I love seeing what he does. But this is a quote I came up with. It says, the church is a spiritual hospital on a battleship fighting a spiritual war empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are not a cruise ship. We're not a cruise ship. And I say this in the nicest way I can say it. Is God did not design you, save you, and and challenging you to be a parasite, to just get the benefit from the host. He's called you to be a part of the body of Christ, to use your gifts and abilities. And you may think, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough. Stop listening to Satan. Stop listening and giving those excuses. The best ability is availability, and he wants to use you, and he will empower you. The church is a spiritual hospital on a battleship. And we don't fight in our own power. We have the Holy Spirit that empowers us, that helps us. And we need the Holy Spirit. We can only do so much. We can only do so much physically. And God gives us certain things we should do that we're responsible for. But in the end of the day, as Paul said, hey, I water, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God is the one who blesses, but there is some work to be done. Now, I want you to notice something as we break this down. Is First is, the church is made up of interlinking pieces. It is evident in the English, English translation, but in the Greek, we discovered that when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am, that you is plural. And in the South, you would say, y'all say that I am? Who do you all say that I am? And the pearl form of the word you reveals to us that Jesus is not just asking this question to Peter who offered an answer. Rather, he's asking this to all the disciples who were there. Who do you say that I am? And at first they go, well, some are saying Elijah, some are saying like Jeremiah, some are saying this, some are saying that. Then Jesus gets to the point but who do you say that I am? You've seen the miracles. You've seen what I've done. You've seen me walk on what Who do you, who do you say that I am? And people do this often. They'll go, when confronted with the gospel of are they going to heaven? They'll say, well, um, I'm a good person. They'll say, well, so and so in my family was a pastor, or is a pastor, or is a deacon, or does this, or does that, or I do good things, and surely my good things will outweigh my bad things, and they have this in their mind that God's going to take this huge scale, and as long as their bad things, or their good things that they've done outweigh their bad things, they will be good. And here's, uh, I hate to break it to you, but your good things won't outweigh your bad things. None of you. None of us. No pastor, no deacon, none of us. We only get in by the grace of god and we need his grace and it's through the cross in which he offers it and so peter peter answered and he seems to be the leader of the apostles why because his name's always mentioned first or he's always speaking up before the other disciples and peter i guess you could say didn't have the paralysis of analysis he speaks his mind and offers jesus a collective answer you are the christ the son of the living god and responds by affirming him and changing his name from Simon bar to Peter, which means a stone, not the stone but a stone. And he continues saying, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And once the disciples individually recognize and agree upon who Jesus, um, who, he, uh, who he was, they were ready to come together. They're ready to be the church. And this is critical because Jesus is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And once he saw that they understood who he was, Jesus esteemed their commitment to his identity by empowering them to carry out his work. He did this because their reply showed him that they were a a group of individuals who could jointly make an impact on society. And he wanted to use them exactly in a great way, and he did. Their impact is still... Alive today. And what we sometimes do when looking at this passage, though, is, is make the mistake of interpreting Christ's statement as meaning that he is building his church on one man, on Peter. The Catholic Church does this. And however, the word Jesus used for Peter was the Greek word Petros, it indicated a single stone that could easily be thrown, easily picked up and hurled that is not the word that Jesus used for rock. He used the word Petra. Now Petra is, is the idea of a mass or a cliff of rocks that is compressed into something much harder than just an individual rock. It's something greater than just a rock. It's something that is interconnected. This mass of rocks interlinks, individual rocks together to create a stronger whole. And while there's a multitude of rocks in Petra, they do not function as individual rocks. They are intimately joined together. And that's what the church is. Christ is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And we are built on top of that, interlocked. In fact, if you'll notice with me and keep your finger here, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we see this. Peter basically connects, I guess you can say, his writings to this passage here in, in uh, Matthew 16. And we're going to read a little bit here because there's just some, there's some good stuff in here. In verse four, it says, You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. We don't have a de- dead savior. He is alive. As we'll be celebrating Easter in April, he's alive. He's a living cornerstone. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into into his spiritual temple or spiritual house. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone and And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. And once you received no mercy, and now you receive God's mercy. So dear friends, I warn you as a temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that rage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, even though if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God. When he judges the world. Notice here with me. In verse 5. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. His spiritual house. That is how he's building his church. If you don't think the church is vital If you really don't think it's that important, my friend, you are missing out on the teachings of Scripture, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Peter. You are the living stones. Notice with me also just something that I won't go too far in. But it says in verse 9, you are royal priest. It says in the rest of verse 5, what's more, you are his holy priest. This is where we get the priesthood of the believer. preacher, I've never heard of the priesthood of the believer. We don't need, as they did in the Old Testament, take our sacrifices any longer to the priest for our sins, to atone for those sins any longer. Why? Jesus is our high priest. He offered the ultimate sacrifice in and of himself. Anyone who trusts in him, your sins have been forgiven. You've been set free. He has set you free. And so... This is why we're not set up to where you come to me and confess your sins to be forgiven. Now, the Bible says we confess our sins to other believers so that we can be healed, so that we can move on, that we can get support. Absolutely, nothing wrong with that. But we don't confess our sins in order to be forgiven or to be healed. This is why we're not set up like the Catholic Church to where in the Catholic Church you go and confess your sins to the priest and he forgives your sins and you're good. There's one mediator between us and God. The man, the Bible says, Jesus Christ. We don't need a priest. It's called the priesthood of the believer. So you can go to God wherever you're at. And as a Christian, when you sin and you mess up, you can go right to God and get on your knees and pray and confess that sin. Why? Because of the teaching of the priesthood of the believer. It's a wonderful thing. We don't need to bring a sacrifice any longer because Jesus was that sacrifice. So he's adding to his church. He's adding. And so... There's some other sacrifices that we all call, we all are we are called to bring <clears throat> what are the sacrifices i 'm going to name these off real quick and I put these in your notes. you can look them up and go deep in further if you want. Um, we have our bodies and our wills to control God and so The kind of living sacrifice is a reasonable service than which we should do with our bodies and our lives. We offer our love to God and to others is something we're called to sacrifice. We are called to sacrifice money and help and time for the ministry. We are called to offer our praise to God. We are called to sacrifice just no longer anything for our sin because he is our sacrifice. And so Christ has called us. He's called us to offer a sacrifice just something much different. So I wonder, what are we sacrificing for the Lord? You see, sometimes, man, you'll be surprised, sometimes people get offended over anything in a church. And they want you to tiptoe around them. Maybe they're just miserable people in their miserable life, and they want you to be miserable. And I'm like, not doing it. And I love you, but I'm not tiptoeing around you or anyone else. I'm gonna preach the truth, preach the love of God's word, and um and we, we are called to sacrifice. And as church members, we're we're all a part of something greater than ourselves. And so is there anything that you sacrifice, you know, maybe <clears throat> maybe in your life right now you're living in a way that you know is not pleasing to God. What should you do? Get it right with him. Confess it. Get it right. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. You see, First Peter chapter 2 here. No doubt, Peter often thought of Jesus' words to him right after he confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What is the stone that really counts the most in building, building of the church? Peter answers. Peter answers it, it is Christ himself. You see, because the church is made up of interlinking pieces, we can do more together than you can apart. If you take two draft horses, each draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. Now, common math would be, well, if you take two draft horses, they should be able to do 16,000 pounds, but they can't. They can't do 16,000 pounds. In fact, two draft horses pull 24,000 pounds. It doesn't make sense when 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 you go to add it up. But the power of two, the power of being interlinked, the power of teamwork, the power of coming together, and that's what the church is. We can do far more together than we can apart. In our Next Steps class that we have for members, we give a spiritual gift test. And what I've consistently seen in these spiritual gift tests is every person will have two or three really strong gifts. They'll have some that are kind of clumped in together. Then they'll have two or three, maybe four really weak ones on the bottom. And sometimes people are embarrassed. They're like, I can't believe I have these. I don't want anyone to see what my weak ones are. But that's how God designed us. He designed us as a body, and some are the mouth. You weren't meant to be the ear. Some are some are the ear, and you were never meant to be the leg. And We all had different gifts and abilities. Went interlinked. And when you decide, I'm not going to do and use the gifts God has given me, sometimes, and depending on how gifted you are and involved you are, it's like saying you no longer have your right arm. Some of you have broken an arm before. You broke your arm, or you had surgery on an arm, or on a shoulder, and you could only use the one arm now. I'm sure you thought to yourself, I know this is going to heal eventually, and I'm glad I have both my arms, but you probably wondered, like, Man, what if I didn't have an arm? How do people with one arm do it? I don't know. They figured it out, I guess, eventually. But that's what it's like. Maybe it's like not having a foot or not having a mouth or not being able to speak or being able to hear. All right, God has given us all different abilities, and <clears throat> he's called us to, have, uh, to be unified. Now, you can have unity without u- uniformity because we're all a little bit different. In God's church, in his church, people are tall. They're short. Some are skinny. Some are not. You know, some, some are of different races, of different languages, of different places, of different countries. God loves diversity. He wants to use everybody. He did not make us all the same. He didn't make us all the same. I mean, could you imagine having, you know, two Joe Postons and then two Mitch Littles? Like, I mean, one's fine, but two, I mean, come on. The good guys, but it'd be really boring. It'll be a vanilla world. We need some different other flavors. We need chocolate chip. We need Rocky road, right? We need like, but we need all kinds of different flavors, strawberry and so on. And don't do this. Don't do this. When you compare yourself to another believer, you may look over and like, I'll never be like him or her. Don't compare yourself to You compare your, yourself to Christ. It said that comparison is a thief of joy. And it is. It is a thief and it will suck the joy right out of your life when you have so many blessings around you. And so much God has done for you. And what God is doing in you and through you may not be complete yet. What God is doing in you and through you may something different that's for your gifts and that you don't have the gifts for, but they have the gifts for, or they, God has a different purpose for them. And so God has made us all a little bit different. See, the church is also this, it's cross-cultural. We're a part of something larger than ourselves. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly, or called-out ones. The root meaning of church is not that of a building, but of a people. It is ironic that when you ask people what church they attend, they often identify a building. And I get it. They're saying, hey, and the building is important. A building is important. A building is a tool in which God has given us to use and to take care of, no question. But at the end of the day, the church is the people. Romans 16 says, um, Paul said, greet the church that is in their house. So he said, greet the church that's meeting in their house. And the early church met oftentimes in houses. Why? They didn't have a lot of money. They also met at the temple, which was a great place where a lot of people could meet. But as the church spread to other regions and to other countries, and this is what the Jewish people had in their mind, they thought, well, hey, this is only for the Jews. And Jesus made it clear, even his ministry, that this was also going to be for the Gentiles. To the non-Jew, the church purposely, purposely brings God's way of doing things to earth. You see, to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, as Jesus defined it, is to be a part of an intentional body tasked to enact heaven's viewpoint and authority in the world society. In the midst of a place of war and conflict and confusion and false news, it seems like fake news has just, I don't know, tripled or maybe even quadrupled since the pandemic. We wonder what is true, and people are searching for truth. They want to know what the truth is. And sadly, and it breaks my heart, there are some churches that are moving closer to what the world is just to entertain the world, just to be accepted by the world. The job of the church is not to adopt the culture. Our job is to merely assess and analyze the culture, but to set heaven within the context of culture so the culture can see God at work in the midst of conflicts of humanity as we develop kingdom disciples that penetrate the culture. So, as a church, we're not just to rub up against the culture so we can be like them or compromise the truth. We are called, we are called to show the world there's a better way to live. There's a way to be forgiven. There is a truth. That there is much more. You see, the church the church exists to advance the kingdom. Just with me in verse 18 here in Matthew. I'm going to read it again. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Church, it may look like evil's winning. It may look like that. <clears throat> Christianity entity is really not spreading. But I can tell you this, that the God of this world, that's a small G-O-D, of Satan and his demons, that rule, and he is called the prince of the power of the air in Scripture. I think he rules the news media. He's not going to give news about that's positive about the church and what it's doing. He's not going to let you know. And so this church, which Christ bled and died for, Scripture says, for husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her. I think He believes it's pretty important. He loves the church. He is willing to die for the church. Man, don't stop putting the church down so low on the list. It's something that should be on the forefront. I mean, why is Sunday the first day of the week? I mean, what a great day to start off your week. Your week really didn't start on Monday. Maybe some of your Mondays are so bad every Monday because you think that's the start of your week. Why not start it off on Sunday instead and change your mentality? It starts on Monday. Started on Sunday. And see how it changes. With his church, you can persecute it. You can close it. You can try to belittle it. But my friend, you won't get rid of it. It is his church. The term used in our translation for Hades is one we often interpret as hell, which references the forces of the underworld, the lower region, the realm of the dead. And there is a battle going on. Some of it is unseen. Scripture is very clear about that. Christian, you are in a battle. You have an enemy who hates you. And there is an underworld. There is more. There is a spiritual darkness you cannot see. But thankfully, thankfully, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And the Lord is with us. He is for us. And hell does not like what Christ is doing. So hell tries to stop it. And Jesus and his church is on the offense, not the defense. And scripture is clear. Hell is on the defense. Satan and his demons, his fallen angels, they are not in hell right now. They are on this earth. They're trying to dirty the waters, make the message of the gospel as muddy as possibly, as much as possible as what they possibly can. They don't want people to know Christ. They hate Christ. They hate the church. And they won't stop until Jesus takes care of it. And one day, one day Satan and his demons, that's where they will go. They will spend eternity in hell, but not until then. Not until Jesus deals with it. And so, church, I hope and I pray that you'll see the importance of why he's given us the church. I'll end with this. There was a member of a certain church who had previously been attending services regularly and he stopped going. After a few weeks, a pastor decided to visit him it was a chilly evening and the pastor found the man at his home sitting before his fireplace. It had a warm blazing fire going. Guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in and led him to a big chair near the fireplace and waited. And as they waited and they sat there along the, the fire, the pastor took the fire tongs and he took one of the brightly burning embers, he snatched it and he moved it away from the fire and the other embers and put it out by itself and left it there. And of course that ember went from bright glowing red to no slowly no longer glowing to not glowing at all and the men really still not talking to one another the pastor then took the fire tongs grabbed the ember that was once glowing and put it back with the rest of the embers and of course it started glowing radiantly again he put the fire tongs down down Both men stood up. The man looked the pastor in the eye and said, Pastor, thank you for that fiery sermon. I'll see you Sunday. You can think you can do this life on your own, and maybe for a while you'll glow just fine. But in this cold, dark world, you do need help. The church does need your giftedness. And we're all a part of something much, much greater the church. Let's pray. Father, you use broken people, you use broken people. Because broken people are good at reaching other broken people. And their pride is not in the way of you using them. God, you will use anyone who is humble before you. Who realizes that they can't do it on their own. And Lord, you've gifted us with the church. And while there are times that We may get aggravated with people. We may get aggravated with the church. It is your church that you purchase and that you love. And I pray that we will love our church, which you've given us. If for any reason, just because you love it may we be forgiving may we be loving may we be helpful may we not let it take a back seat in our lives may we realize that we need the church desperately in our lives in a world that is devaluing devaluing the church, we see that your word lifts the church up. So God, I pray that we will see the purpose and the value in it as your word has clearly shown us. May we be about building your kingdom, your church, and its life in which you give us. As we're in this time of reflection, I realize this message was more for Christians than someone who's an unbeliever. But maybe you came this morning and you were looking for hope. You're looking for an answer to your problems. I want you to know Jesus is your answer, my friend. He loves you. He cares for you. And anyone who will repent of their sins, he will save Anyone who puts their faith and belief in him, he will change. And that's our mission here. That's our purpose is to help people know God. Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know about him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? There are many people who claim to know something. They don't know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. But you must put your pride aside and come to him humbly. Repenting of your sins and putting your faith and belief in him. You can do that right now. You can pray, dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you, Lord, to be my Savior. If you prayed that, I'd love to talk with you after the service and help you know how you can grow in your faith. We love you, God. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. We're thankful for our church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. And if we can get the seats stacked in the middle, that would be wonderful. Thank you.